Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Endurance Innovation. Today we're going to start the show in a little bit of a different slant. Um, we've uh, we've always kind of shied away from talking about things that are not in our quote unquote lane, our, our lane of sport and uh, innovation in that context. But uh, things being what they are in the world, uh, we're we're recording this on Monday the fifth. Uh, you'll be listening to it probably sometime after. Thursday of this week, but uh, it's um, it's it's a topic that I can't really leave unaddressed. Um, the fact that there is so much inequality in our in our daily life, especially in North America, Canada certainly is not immune to uh, to this kind of inequality that we're seeing south of the border in the United States. So um, I I want to say that uh, from from my own point of view, from my own perspective, what I'm going to be doing is uh, uh, I'm going to be listening and I'm going to be hearing people who tell me that I say or do things that are that are uncool. Um, and at the same time, kind of as a as a white dude, uh, I feel like now it's my job to engage with other white dudes <laughs> primarily to um, to you know, help, help educate people in, uh, and help them understand that this is, this isn't made up. This isn't some kind of, uh, uh, this isn't propaganda. The fact that there is so much inequality and that, um, I will do my best to, um, uh, to share what I know and what I understand about the, the subject. And, uh, I've already had those conversations, uh, in private with, uh, a couple of my friends. Um, and, uh, I will continue to, to do so, to be a pain in the ass, uh, in this, in this capacity. Um, my kind of default position is that I do not want to rock boats and I don't want to stir things up. And I think that's, that's a very privileged place, um, that's coming from a very privileged place. And that's something that I am no longer okay with. And I will, uh, endeavor not to, not to let those, you know, those opportunities to do the right thing sail past. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about um, is the fact that our, you know, our sandbox uh, for me specifically that the the, the world of triathlon um, is not immune to to these things. Um, we we try to think of ourselves as a very inclusive sport and that everyone is welcome and everyone is loved. Um, and generally, I think that's true. Uh, but if you look at the demographics of the participants in, in age group triathlon, and probably this extends to the pro and the elite ranks, although I didn't do the research there, it's overwhelmingly white. Um, I just looked up the stats from uh, USA Triathlon from a report, I think, from 2016 or 2017, and the, um, the members of USAT were 85% of them were Caucasian. And uh, that's not representative of, of the United States or, or Canada. And uh, um, there's, that's an obvious, I think that's an obvious and, uh, and pretty glaring, um, evidence of, uh, of inequality. So what can I do about this? Because this is, uh, this is maybe somewhere, this is a space where I may have a little bit more influence than in other areas. Um, and that's, uh, I'm going to offer up a couple of, uh, coaching or mentorship spots, um, for people of color. So if you are a person of color and you're uh, potentially interested in, uh, you know, exploring the sport uh, of triathlon or cycling or running, or you want to get better at it, you want to take it up a notch, um, send me a note. Or if you know somebody who is, uh, have them get in touch with me. So what I'm willing to do is uh, a couple of spots, uh, at least for three months uh, to, uh, you know, get you in the door or to uh, make you a little bit faster. And uh, that's going to be at no charge. So get in touch with me through the, through the website or through the show notes and uh, we can chat. 
You said that very well. I, I can't really add too much more to that, um, except for just my own quick perspective on it, where, uh, like you said, triathlon and endurance sports tend to be pretty homogeneous in terms of the the way that uh, the sport looks from the outside. So I think trying to encourage any anyone getting involved, helping provide opportunities to those people who might not be uh, normally included in the, the conversation. I think that's, um, that's a great way to start. So, um, from my point of view, I, uh, what I can offer is just, uh, uh, some of the virtual wind tunnel services as well. So I'd like to throw that in there with your offer about the, the coaching and mentorship. That's awesome. That's great. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, I can't really offer much, but, um, from like a coaching or, um, I guess I could from a mentorship aspect, if anyone, um, wants uh, some sort of consulting from a training perspective but I think for me the biggest thing is like being open to um, feedback and as things might not be like are unintentional but come across in the wrong way it's just being open to um, yeah feedback and ways to improve that's really well said too. Thank you, Erica. And that's Erica Gavell, everybody, who is our <laughs> <laughs> surprise. <laughs> who <Hello>. is our, <laughs> No, it's awesome. I love it when it happens organically like that. Who is uh, our our guest for the day? Erica, thank you for coming on. Welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so typically we would do, you know, we would say we're joining us today is so and so and this is who this person is and this is why they're, you know, they're going to be on the show. But uh, you kind of jumped, uh, you know, you jumped the queue there. But that's great because then now we have uh, a more organic lead. <laughs> well, I'm just so happy to be here. I had to say something. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. So Erica's, um, she's got a very interesting background where um, actually the first time I met her, uh, she had to shave my hairy arms to attach thermocouples. Um, and then <laughs> leading on that. Very personal first meeting, Andrew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so from that point, we proceeded into a torture chamber where I did some uh, heat um heat testing. So this was some of the, the study that we had mentioned with Sean Peterson previously. But um, so that came about because Erica has the the experience or the the academic background to be looking at some of the, the research into how humans adapt to heat. But also she's got a tremendous athletic background as well, where um, you were in the Paralympics for the, the Canadian, was it the, the wheelchair basketball team? Yeah, I, um, I played in the uh, I played on the Paralympic team in 2016, and um, I'm actually still on the team right now. So, yeah, it's good. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what better mix there um, than having both the academic credentials and the the actual sporting credentials? Um, we might have the academic credentials, uh, Michael and I, but uh, definitely not the same level of sporting credentials. Yeah, it's. Um, I would say, I don't know, like I'm very um, grateful for the opportunity to do this because I don't think 
Um, I mean, how many people get to do everything I do is something that I'm super passionate about. Right. So while I, I guess, put in a lot of hours, I never actually feel like I'm working. Like I'm very, very thankful and grateful. So yes, I love it. Everything. (laughs) And that's, that's really the dream right there. If you can be passionate about what you're doing every day and, and show up and know, well, if you, if you love what you do, no day feels like work. I think, um, like some days take up more effort than others just to hit deadlines and whatnot, but like never do I feel like I'm not enjoying myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's, uh, that's certainly like winning the, the Maslow hierarchy lottery there. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Good to hear. Mm-hmm. Originally we were, uh, we were connected to Erica and, uh, and I, well, she knew Andrew from before clearly, but, uh, through, through <laughs> Sean very personally, very personally yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after that, after that, you know, it's, that's the best icebreaker I can think of. <laughs> so Sean connected us and, uh, Sean, this is Sean Peterson, uh, uh, who we had on the show, uh, maybe four episodes back. Um, and he suggested that we have you on because of a, a really interesting study that you conducted about the effects of uh, a menthol mouth rinse, I believe. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? What the kind of what the background was and what you were what you were trying to f- uh, what you were trying to learn and uh, what came out of it? Yeah, I mean it's actually kind of funny because it totally happened by accident. Um, I was initially well for my master's project. I had an opportunity with the Canadian Sport Institute, um, specifically Dr. Heather Loven Springer, who's actually my PhD um, supervisor now, but she's also the director of uh, reading or uh, research and innovation at the Sport Institute. And for my master's project, she told me I could um, do something with them that focused on improving performance um, in Tokyo. So obviously Tokyo is going to be really hot and the environment will be an issue and probably um, a point of emphasis and major concern for the athletes going there. So initially we were going to focus with the beach volleyball team as those types of athletes are um, like they're exposed to the radiant heat uh, for a long period of time. So while we were looking at ways to, um, we were focusing on body temperature because that, that was going to be an issue. It's just like not overheating during the match. And while we were going through the literature for beach volleyball, um, we came across this, uh, this mental mint mouth rinse. And initially, we were just going to jump into it and use it um, during the, the volleyball game. And the thing was, is that when it came to the section on having to write about it and the influence it had on females, there was no, that hadn't been done with females before. So okay. it was, it was one of those situations was how can we actually use this in the applied setting if it hasn't even been tested in the lab? So from there, we decided to um, focus on uh, female cyclists on uh, hormonal contraceptives. So, which was also super unique to the study was, yeah, the the mental maltrance so was cool, but then at the same time, there's not a lot of research on um, females, right? Sure. Yeah. And specifically on the contraceptives. So, 
we decided to um, replicate the Tokyo conditions and mimic the, the time trial. So we had the participants do a mouth rinse every five kilometers of the, the 30 kilometers and it improved performance by, I think, it, I can't remember the exact at the top of my head, but it was around 2.5%. So hmm. from, the, from the placing standpoint at that level, the difference between first and fourth is 0.8%. Wow, okay. And the difference between first and eighth is, I think it might be 2%. So the fact that we found findings of around, I think it was 2.3, but around 2.5 from a, from a performance standpoint, that's, that's very significant. I just find it so mind-boggling that, uh, that something like this could even work. Um, so it's, it just shows you the power of the body, I guess, and, and how little we actually understand. Um, but it's, it's very interesting that you dove into this. And I think another point that I do want to mention is the fact that a lot of these research studies are focused on college age males, because that's typically who signs up for these studies. Um, and that's, you know, who's available at the time, but having the females, um, that's an area that has been underexplored for a lot of physiology experiments. So, um, so that's great as well, but the, the effectiveness two and a half percent, um, and that being more than the difference between basically not being even mentioned in the conversation and being a gold medalist. Um, if you can do that with a mouth rinse, that's like, how does that happen? What, what is the mechanism for the improvement in performance? Well, the proposed mechanism, the thing about it is that it's a central brain activity type of thing. So the thing the unfortunate part of um, like pinpointing the mechanism that it's exceptionally hard to measure brain activity during exercise in the heat, just based on like the equipment and technology you need to like, you would need a portable functional MRI. And huh. I don't, I don't know anyone that, even had you don't that, have so. one of those in your pocket <laughs> well actually i asked my supervisor for one the other day and she, she didn't <laughs> she thought i was joking but i actually wasn't <laughs> so i think i think the answer is no but um yeah. yeah so but the proposed mechanism based on previous literature in a non-exercise setting is that the the, the mental what it does is that it turns on uh, the cold receptors in the mouth and then from there, it increases activity among um, the reward centers of the brain. So it makes you um, like it makes you feel good during exercise. Hmm. So especially during exercise in the heat, once you hit that certain point and you kind of feel like you want to stop or you become lethargic, the mint turns on the positive centers and then produces um, a greater uh, motor output and hopefully improvement of performance. Oh, I have so many questions. Okay. Yeah. Can I go? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, the first thing that jumps to mind is, um, so I'm sure you were, you were measuring, you know, a, a host of other factors, uh, other than the difference in, um, in 
exercise performance. And I just want to be clear because there's a few different ways you can measure it. I just want to mm -hmm. ask you how you did this. Was it, um, did they have to cover a certain distance and you were, you were looking at, uh, time performance or were you looking at, um, time to exhaustion at a certain wattage, let's say a certain intensity, which, which one were you testing? Uh, we did uh, a time trial, so 30 kilometers. Okay. Um, and one of the reasons for that actually was there's, there's less, uh, variance in the time trial versus time to exhaustion. I totally agree with what, with what you just said, yeah. So then other than other than the the the, the improvement in uh, the 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 race uh, completion time, was there were there any other physiological differences like I don't know, core temperature, heart rate, RPE, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, actually so well obviously there's an there's an increase in your power power your average power output if you're improving the time right right but one of the most fascinating findings actually was the um, the rpe uh decreased for a given power output okay does that make sense it does so if you if you held the power output steady rpe would be lower with the mouth rinse is that right right and there's actually a strong correlation between rpe and performance mm -hmm. so which means that it was a, or like, I, I can't say there's like a, it's a causation, but that could mean that there's a strong correlation between like your perception of how you feel and um, motor output. Yeah. And I, I completely understand that argument because there've been days, for example, when I hop on the bike or on the trainer and it's like, wow, I feel like I'm killing it right now. And you look down and it's like, oh, this is slightly above my warm-up wattage. Yeah. Um, and and other days where you feel like you're you're not working that hard and you're putting out much bigger numbers than you're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. So um, just that that feeling and and how it can also motivate you. So there is, I guess, some of a feedback mechanism too, where if you see that you're feeling well, if you see that your heart rate might be lower than normal, then it, it gives you that positive motivation. So um, I don't know that that's necessarily something that you would have taken into account, but I know that your mind can provide a ton of uh, ability to push through the pain or at least ignore the pain or put it aside, um, depending on how you are feeling that particular day or under certain conditions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is, is that the participants were actually blinded from um, everything. The only thing we told them was time. I'm sorry, not time, but the distance um, completed and the distance left. So they had no idea what their heart rate was, their power output, nothing. Hmm. And it was randomized. And we actually compared um, just like all the first trials to all the second trials to see whether or not there was like a learning effect. And there was no difference between um, trial one and trial two. Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, was the, the, the study that was conducted on males, uh, did it see a similar effect? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was actually super cool. It, we saw the same um, type of improvement um, in the female population as we did with the males. But the tricky thing about this is that it hasn't been well studied. So there were no other studies that did the exact same thing that we did. So, like, we could look at like a general percent of improvement, but like, I think there's only like five or six studies that have done it. And like some people have done time to exhaustion. And so you're going to see different results there. Um, and then like people have done time trials, but they were also running time trials and a shorter duration. Got it. 
so as for similarities, we saw like a similar improvement, but unless you directly compare the male and female in the exact same type of protocol and everything, it's hard to say if if um it would be like if you would get the same results, if that makes sense. I think if anything, from a scientific standpoint, that might actually strengthen the results more, knowing that there was a slightly different protocol, but you still saw the same hmm. order of results because um I know Michael, you and I have discussed like uh, basically the inability to reproduce scientific results, and how there there have been a lot of papers out there that do not properly stand up to scientific scrutiny, um, but they still manage to pass the peer review process, which is a separate commentary and criticism. But um, <laughs> but uh, that being said, like if you can get the same order of results, it's a very strong indication that that effect does exist. And it's not just a symptom of whatever battery of tests you have to choose. So, mm -hmm. um, so for me that, that strengthens the conclusion and that shows that the science is good and, and it actually does indicate that this is a positive effect. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, I guess the, the main thing we were kind of like, we just didn't know what would happen with the progesterone in the female. So, like, because we had participants who were all on a, well, the IUD, like, the reality is that a lot of athletes are on the IUD. I don't know if you guys know that, but I know that because I'm female, I'm an athlete, I talk to my friends. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, it was just like, that. I guess that was kind of like the big question was, is that going to make a difference in the the type of outcomes then? Um, it didn't. So, hmm. okay. One more question for you. Where where can I go and buy some menthol now so that I can <laughs> I can start using it? Because it's yeah. Well, you're in Southern Ontario, right? So it's it's getting toasty now, and uh, my availability <laughs> to train has shrunk to a very pinpoint window, which happens to be right around eleven o'clock, which is you know maybe not the ideal time to be outside running. So where can I where can I score score me some uh, some menthol mouthwash? <laughs> Well, I mean, you could probably use like alcohol-free Listerine. Like, I'm gonna be honest. That was my that was my plan <laughs> to use <because laughs> to, to use alcohol-free Listerine. Yeah, 100. percent Because in my mind, I was like, from an athlete perspective, I'm not even joking. It's in my proposal presentation, the Listerine. <laughs> and then my committee was like, "Well, I think we should maybe use like medical grade." because <laughs> like, yeah, it, it makes it, it, it probably makes the uh the article a little bit seem a little bit more yeah. you know official but in my in my mind and cheapness athlete centered type of approach i was thinking <laughs> you know what if we use alcohol free listerine if i'm in south america and i can go to the or the not choppers drug mart but like some store down there and buy listerine like or if i want to take it with me on a trip it's super easy and it's super cheap that's brilliant so like while we were focused on tokyo i was thinking more from like um a frugal athlete it's like all right how can we make this super e easy to transport low in cost and effective so that was like a huge part of my of our decision making, actually. I love that so much because easy, cheap, and effective are all things three things you almost never that almost never go together. Yeah, it's actually hilarious when I 
I presented it to them. Yeah. I'm I'm totally I'm gonna go walk my dog to the to the shopper's drug mart because that just happens to be the closest uh, pharmacy to me. Yeah. Um, and, and pick up a little a little uh, travel sized uh, alcohol free Listerine and take it for a run tomorrow. Yeah. See how it goes. Let me know how you feel. <laughs> I will totally will. Because yeah. um, I had I ran today. I did a trail run, which was a complete disaster, and it was. Well, for lots of reasons, but it was also very hot. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, north of 30 degrees in Celsius with the humidity today. And uh, I definitely could have used uh, a little a little pick me up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so the part that no one's mentioned yet is uh, what I see as being the big bonus is after you get on the podium or after you win the race, because <laughs> you, you now have fresher breath. Exactly. So. Thank you. Ready for yeah, anything. You're ready to go on a date right after your yeah, race. You like- <laughs> Forget about the sweat. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is this is like win. That's a that's a fourth point. It's uh, it's it's easy. It's it's inexpensive and it's effective and it's um, I guess crowd friendly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so interesting hearing about some of those innovations and some of those new areas that people are looking into. Um, <clears throat> because to be honest, like who would ever question that that's a performance enhancement? And you know, is this going to be something that uh, you do a urine test as well as give a breath sample when you're when you're done a race? <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, though, like what what else would be some kind of performance enhancement like this? What other psychological effects could we see from other interventions? Um, I know, for example, the uh, um, carb rinses, uh, the... Is that what it's called? Carb rinsing? Yeah, I just have carbohydrate rinse. Yeah. Um, so those have been shown to be performance enhancing as well. So are you looking into other areas with this as well? Yeah, I mean, um, so I would say that this area for me is, um, it's like a passion project. So um, it's not what I'm funded for and not what I'm doing for my PhD, but I'm hoping to get like one or, I mean, two would be a little like, way 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 ambitious per year um in this type of area but um actually we were halfway through another study um but then covid came so um we had to shut that down (laughs) unfortunately it broke my heart but (laughs) it is what it is yeah um but yeah the the cool thing right now is that people are starting to realize that um it kind of comes it comes from like this premise it's called the central governor theory so it's this idea that your brain takes in information a bunch of different feedback whether it's the temperature outside and the duration of the race um, pretty much everything and then from there after it takes in all this information it picks um, a pace for you to exercise at to prevent catastrophic failure and so right now, um, I, I guess like a hot topic is coming up with ways to, I get uh, essentially override the central governor. So when your brain's telling you to, to slow down based on some of the research is that most people have, they still have room to keep going, like to push a little bit harder. So between like the mouth rinses, motivational self-talk, is really common right now too um we're just starting to realize that yeah while we feel like we feel like we're being pushed to our limits you can actually go like another gear path back 
And I think that applies even more so to uh, recreational athletes, which are who are uh, the majority of our listening audience. Um, I think probably in elite athletes, that delta might be a little bit smaller between, you know, what you feel you can do and when you can really do. Mm -hmm. uh, but in recreational athletes, especially with folks who are not maybe lifelong athletes who, who maybe don't have the, uh, you know, the suffer gene, um, I think that the opportunity for improvement uh, with uh, through this kind of strategy, I think is even even greater. Yeah, like I'll be honest, like this morning with this COVID situation, I've been riding my bike every day, and <laughs> we have this challenge going on between like exercise physiology lab, and like I was going as hard as I could, as I could, and I like told myself that I know about the central governor theory, so <laughs> I'm gonna keep going because I know nothing bad will actually happen. So, um, I've actually used this theory in my own training, so it's really interesting. Nice, and it works. You can you can kind of think yourself think you can outsmart the central governor. Well, I just tell myself that it's just trying to slow me down and to keep going. Like, don't listen. <laughs> don't listen. Yeah. Well, uh, was it um, Jens folks who who had the quote that uh, was "shut up legs" was. Uh, was the main thing. So he had it written on his top tube on his bike so he could look down and tell his legs to shut up. Yeah. Shut up legs and do what I tell you in a German accent, which I won't yeah. try. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is so interesting how the brain is a key contributor to performance. Like certainly there's some amount of fitness. <clears throat> so for a given amount of work, you might suffer differently than someone else might for that same, same quantified amount of work, but pushing yourself that extra little bit, um, sports psychology, or just maybe not even the psychology, but just, uh, tricking your body into thinking it's in better shape than it currently is. Um, it has a huge impact on performance. Yeah. And like, I know it's a little bit off topic, but I think just, um, just in life in general, right? Mm -hmm. Like how you perceive something totally influences your energy levels. And um, I actually just read, it's like it's a little bit sombering, but I actually just read a book by, um, it's called Victor Frankl, uh, called The Man's Search for Meeting. And I mean, they talk about like, um, like life in the concentration camp and a lot of the, like during World War II, and a lot of the people who survived, it, it had a lot to do with just how they perceive something. And I think that taking like that extreme situation, is just so applicable for, um, for like sports. And like, usually if you go into a competition and you're, I know for me, like I play my best when, when I'm in like a good mood and I, just have a positive outlook on life in general. So right. I think like on top of the whole mental thing, there's also like that psychophysical um, part of, of like going into a competition from like a hormonal um, standpoint. That's also like, it hasn't been explored much either. So um, yeah, it's super fascinating. I could talk a long time about it because I'm, <laughs> I'm very passionate about that area in general, but yeah, it's really cool. I got one more question, Erica, about the uh, the mental uh, study or yeah. its, its application, I rather. Um, you mentioned that there are actually athletes or teams that that might be using this in Tokyo. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, so like, I'll be honest. I kind of went into this project when I proposed it. I think I was just being, I was just saying what I was, <laughs> what I like 
did not actually envision, but would sound really good in my presentation of like, oh, the purpose <laughs> of this is to help athletes at the Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games, right? And I don't know if anyone actually thought it would happen, but um, after we did the study and presented at um, on the podium uh, conference um, and got acknowledged there, uh, we uh, probably like six or seven MSOs um, contacted us and just asked for some consulting and yeah, it was it was a really it was a really cool experience to go from like from the lab to a big thing is like like how do you get your research out there, right? The dissemination. Mm-hmm. And um and then we did that. And then people are now using it in their training and um yeah, the whole experience like it's just like we had this vision of all right maybe this isn't going to happen, but I think everyone in my committee, we just, we genuinely believe that this could be useful in Tokyo. So yeah, it, it was super cool. And it was, it was just a really humbling thing to be a part of for sure. That is awesome. That's, mm-hmm. that's such a neat story. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was one of those things, like it was just not something I was, I wasn't actually expecting like, I was just like a grad student at U of T, right? Like there's a lot of grad students who, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like when you're a grad student, you're just at the very bottom of the total bowl. Like, <laughs> I, I know all about that. I've been that, that way for most of my life. When the MSO was contacting us, I was just like, are you sure you want to be contacting what, What's an MSO? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the acronym. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, my bad. It's uh, actually I should NSO, like National Sporting Organization. So like, ah, okay. Um, yeah. My apologies. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, That's so, why we're here to, to yeah. ask you to clarify. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So a bunch of Olympic and uh, Paralympic sports had contacted us about it. Very cool. And in his uh, intro email, uh, Sean Peterson was uh, mentioned that you were also working on another thermal regulation um, project for actually for wheelchair basketball. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, we're actually doing it with um, wheelchair rugby. Oh, okay. Um, but funny story, the reason that, like the only reason this happened was because when I was helping Sean with the study that Andrew was in, um, at the end of the, like when we were kind of going over the results and everything, I just said, hey, Sean, I did this class assignment um, last year. Like, do you want to have a look at it? And he's like, yeah, for sure. Like, send it my way. So I sent him this class assignment and I did hear back with him for like three weeks, right? And I think sometimes, like, in life in general, people, they'll just, like, not reply to your email in a nice way of saying, thanks, but no thanks, this isn't very good, right? And so, actually, I was in Europe for a training camp, and Sean was like, hey, I read your assignment, class assignment, I need to talk to you, um, like, ASAP. And so, I literally jumped on Skype from Germany, and he was just like, hey, we think it's really cool. Um, let's apply for this, like a couple of grants or whatever and contact Heather, see what she thinks. So 
yeah, this whole, my whole PhD project actually came to fruition from like a casual conversation and a few phone calls in Europe. And then, yeah, so now we're actually doing, um, we're working on like a cooling system almost similar to the one Sean did um, or that he spoke on, I assume, in the, he spoke on that, right? Like mm-hmm. the forearm cooling. Yep. So we're using like the same type of, um, I guess, idea, but with uh, in the, I guess, I don't know how much information I can share, but in uh, the wheelchair. <laughs> we can share, share less just to be safe. Yeah. And then so we're we can, using you know, the same, be, be, talk in generalities. <laughs> we're using the same system in wheelchair rugby players. Ah. So um, the thing about the wheelchair rugby players, though, is that like anything below their level of lesion, um, they don't sweat. So while, oh yeah, so that's the big thing about para athletes during exercise in the heat is that they don't have they don't have active sweat glands below their spinal cord injury. So like you and I, when we exercise, we sweat to cool off, right? Of course. But what happens with them is that when they exercise, they don't they don't sweat and they don't cool off the same at the same rate you or I would. So like these external cooling um, devices are actually, I would say much more important, even just from like a health perspective. I I had heard about that before that there were, there were challenges for thermal regulation for a lot of these people who have had spinal cord injuries, but I didn't realize it was just because the sweat glands aren't, and I guess it makes sense now that I think about it, they're just not communicating with the brain. But um, yeah, seeing how sweating is an evolutionary mechanism to keep us safe and keep us cool, um, that that is a huge limitation. Oh yeah, and like even from a performance standpoint, right? Like, like the purpose of cooling, from um, I guess like like there's a health, but then there's also performance, right? Like the purpose of cooling off is to um, prevent yourself from hitting like. It's like a almost like a set temperature. So once you get too hot, your body slows down to prevent yourself from overheating. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, we've talked about this on a number of time, number of uh, number of episodes. Yeah, it's one of our one of our favorite topics. Oh, Andrew, cool. And myself. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so like with para, if they don't have external cooling um, modalities. Like it can, it can really be a huge, it's like a huge performance gap, right? Has, has there been anything attempted in the past or is there anything that has been used to keep people cool prior to competition or during competition? Um, after is more recovery, I guess, but, um, have, have people tried to experiment with this in the past? Yeah, there's been like a lot of research, but it's just like, it's, it's kind of just trying to figure out like how do you make the research that's already out there that much better because it's that much bigger of a problem in the para population and like given that well the thing is is that even in the para population they can have overheating problems in like like thermal neutral conditions so like for example like my supervisor uh, Dr. Logan Springer she did a study with the wheel wheelchair basketball athletes and in a gym of like I don't know what room temperature is maybe like 22 degrees and 40% humidity people were hitting really really high temperatures in a thermal neutral environment so 
cooling is not only like important in the hot environment in the in para para population, but even just in like the thermal neutral, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of speechless just hearing those results that there was uh, in that kind of normal condition, what we would kind of consider a normal, you know, like a, a typical high school gym class, basically, mm-hmm. um, that you could have heat issues like that. Yeah. And like, so that was with wheelchair basketball players and, and wheelchair rugby players, it's even worse. Um, like one of the uh, people on my advisory committee, Dr. Um, Vicky uh, Tolfrey from, she's from GB, but like she's done lots of work with um, wheelchair rugby athletes and in, in that country. And like the amount of research that she's done that just shows like it's even that much worse in, um, in athletes who, who are quadriplegic. So um, we just did a study um, in wheelchair rugby athletes from Tokyo um, this past November, they just did like a, it was a Paralympic test event and we saw the same thing. Like, like it's a huge, it's a huge thing that practitioners need to like fully buy into and have, um, have like processes and logistics in place to make sure that their athletes aren't overheating. That's such an interesting, yeah, like, as Andrew said, it's such an interesting consideration that people who are not in that sport um, would have no idea about, I bet. Um, it's it's one of those, I guess, you know, it's it's a nuance to the, to the, to, fe- to folks who don't have to, who are not faced with that situation um, every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really cool from a physiology <laughs> perspective, <laughs> kind of, yeah, it's just, um, there's just a lot of opportunity with it. I mean, from research and sport innovation and the really fun thing for me right now is that um, there's not a lot of research in sport technology in Paralympic sport, right? So working with Sean, I can go to him with an idea and it's, it's really not that complex or complicated, but no one has ever done it before. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely an exciting prospect to be making a difference. I think that's that's something that feels really cool is knowing that your research and knowing that your efforts are going directly to help people. Um, speaking from my own, let's say, lack of experience, but I know my master's was pretty much useless for any academic or other purposes, um, aside from just satisfying the requirements to graduate. But uh, this is something where you can see the effects literally almost immediately. Um being taken out to the the sports playing field. Yeah, it's um, I like I said, like I'm from Saskatchewan, and this is not something that I ever. I don't think if if someone told me it's like, oh, this is what you're going to be doing for your master's and PhD, I would honestly think they're crazy. Like to have the opportunity to study high performance sport and just come up with these ways and different like performance gaps. And yeah, it's, it's, like I said, I'm very um, grateful and appreciative that I do have these opportunities and, um, oh yeah, I love it. It's so much fun. Like, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago we had, um, we had the founder of Ventum on the show, Dia Noor, who was 
the most positive human being that we'd had on the show. But honestly, Erica, you're kind of giving that guy a run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. We won't tell Dia. It might ruin. We won't his tell Dia. No, we won't tell him because he, he. I think he likes that 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 uh, that moniker. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome to hear. And I think. You know, look, it's uh, you, some people may call it luck, but uh, it sounds like you've done um, you've done so many super interesting things and have have kind of gone for it and uh, and been rewarded with projects that are that are both interesting to you, but also useful and meaningful to to other people in, in high performance sports. So that's that's kind of like, I don't know, that's 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 pretty good. It's maybe as good as it gets for for, um, you know, folks in our line of work. Yeah, I have some pretty patient supervisors, too. So um Trust me, it's not all butterflies and <laughs> rainbows. I'm in a good mood now, but if you ask me how I was doing last week, it was different. So let's just go with this living in the moment. <laughs> I love it. That's excellent advice, I think, for everybody. And I think that's it's hard not to live in the moment right now because that's like, it seems like, you know, that moment has been frozen in time or in amber or something because I'm living that moment, the same moment <laughs> over and over again. Well, Erica, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on the show and uh, sharing with us your research. Um, I think I'm super serious that I'm uh, I'm going to be heading out either probably tomorrow morning with the with the uh, with the boys on our walk. Maybe we'll stop by the the shoppers with our masks on, of course. Yeah. Um, to get to get Dad uh, a small travel size bottle of uh, of uh, alcohol free Listerine that I'm going to throw in my running pack for the next time I go out in 30 degree heat. Yeah. Let me know how it goes. Just make sure you don't mix it up with your water bottle. You don't want to be drinking that. (laughs) Well, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty easy, um, you know, there, there's, there's some evolutionary steps that have been taken to make sure that we don't, we don't drink mouthwash. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know what though, like people have, there are studies out there that people ingest it. So like, I think you would be fine if you want to, but you do what you think is best. That's fine with me. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I really maybe, want to. Yeah, <laughs> let's leave that one off the table for now. Yeah, we don't. We don't want to give oh, people any funny. any bad ideas. Funny. They'll be like, "Oh, I heard this on a podcast, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go drink mouthwash." Like, no, don't drink it, folks. You, it's it's a rinse, right? So you uh, you know you, you spit it yeah. out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this is definitely an eye opening conversation for me, though, or ear opening, whatever you want to say there, but, uh, hearing, yeah, hearing all the, the challenges that, um, that Paralympic athletes or just para-athletes have, um, I, I didn't have an appreciation for it. And I know that there's a lot of uphill battles with some of the disabilities that people are either born with or encounter through accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that thermal regulation was another one of these is, uh, it just gives me that much more respect um, because pushing through an injury, pushing through some kind of disability um, and becoming a world-class athlete is, you know, a challenge in and of itself. But, uh, but hearing just the additional, these additional challenges that you're facing is, it's incredible. So uh, all that much more respect. Yeah. I think though, so one thing to like be mindful of is like, I'll be honest, like when you're at the Paralympics, it's, the exact same as the Olympics. So like, like your dis, like the dis, the whole like disability part of it. What I find like so cool is that it just becomes all about performance. It's like, all right, this is the amount of function you have. This is your, this is the disability that you might have. Okay, how is that going to affect like the outcome of you potentially winning a medal or not winning a medal? 
so it's like given that disability how can we how can we find ways to to like improve the amount of function that you have so that you can like pass other people with similar amounts of function very cool the paralympics is so cool just because like it's it's like it's not about um it's about like performance and um yeah i think it's like the the rio 20 london was amazing um rio was amazing but then like i think tokyo is just gonna be um like that much bigger and if it happens like with COVID, but <laughs> hopefully we can get there. Yeah. Let's hope we get there. <laughs> this is a, this is a super fun interview, Erica. Thank you very much again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was lots of fun and um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Uh, for all of our listeners, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoy the show, rate and review us. I said it right that time. Uh, and um, also consider supporting us through uh, Supercast. And uh, do keep in mind that that offer that uh, Andrew and I threw out at the beginning of the show. Um, if you if you're a person of color and are interested in um, checking out triathlon or getting faster, getting stronger, send us a note. We'll be uh, happy to help however we can. Thanks.